0: Hello and welcome back to the Sensat podcast. This episode is coming to you all the way from lockdown, recorded using the wonderful powers of the internet. Today, we hear from your host Harry, co-founder and chief data officer at Sensat, Dr. Khalid, chief scientist, and special guest Adrian Short from Geplatooth as they discuss building sustainably.
1: Welcome, Adrian. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Harry. Looking forward to it. Would you mind giving us a brief introduction about yourself, your business?
2: Of course. So um, my name is Adrian Short. I'm an associate with uh, Gavin Sooth Architects. i uh, been with the firm for on and off hmm, 30-odd years, but this time around 20. <laughs> um, Lot of our work is aviation or has been historically, uh, may not be fair, you know, we're going forwards. Um, we are full service practice, so we um, offer full architectural range of services. My specialist interest really has been um, in not just sustainability over the, over the recent years, but in looking at um, the use of AI and uh, generative design in, uh, in architecture.
1: Go How did you sort of get into this, um, into this realm? What's your background?
2: Oh, uh, my background is just a design background. How I got into this particular sort of branch or part of it was really um, watching some video about uh, 18 months, two years ago, put out by Autodesk um, on generative design, but only in the automotive and uh, product sort of design uh, arena. Uh, and then over about the last 12 months, they've been trying to make that jump from um, manufacturing, additive manufacturing into into AEC, into architecture and engineering. Um, just quickly on that further, the original stuff that I saw was um, designs that were generated in the uh, program called Fusion 360, uh, which you might know. And that was really using additive manufacture to create um, shapes uh, and uh, objects that were really... Almost impossible to imagine, um, you know, with the human with the human mind. Because you, I find if you can't draw it, it's quite hard to imagine it. <laughs> and uh, it, I was really I was really piqued by that, and I've been following avidly ever since. And then um, more recently, meeting up with the guys like Keen and a few others from Autodesk, and taking part in a few hackathons, getting more deeply immersed in uh, in this technology and what it can do. And uh, and we've been using it. Quite a bit recently in our own work in practice.
1: Great and I forgot to mention we've got Khalid with us uh, this week. Uh, Khalid, our Chief Scientist, would you like to give a brief introduction about yourself?
0: Yes, thank you Harry. Um, Good to have you Adrian on board. My name is Khalid and uh, I lead the Applied AI team at Tensat and my keen interests are AI and machine learning in spatial sciences.
1: Cool, thank you, Khadiz. So, we'll kick off talking a bit about sustainability and the sort of methods for companies being more sustainable and how uh, sustainability is being applied to the construction industry. So, what do you think are the benefits to start with for companies choosing a more sustainable path?
2: Well, it's an area that, that's growing in incredible uh, pace in terms of public awareness, I think, especially around the, the issue of climate change. Um, so, I think any companies that don't really embrace it will not be viewed in the same favourable light as those that do. Uh, I think for those companies that do, it'll have long; they'll have long-term credibility and better stand out. Uh, they'll be perceived, I think, in a more um, favourable light. It ticks all the right boxes, of course, in the public's mind. Um, so I think I think that's one thing. But I was also very struck by a comment I read by Larry Fink, uh, CEO of BlackRock, warning that that money will dry up for firms that don't embed sustainability at their core. And those that embrace sustainable approaches, their money will be easier to come by and cheaper. And I thought that was really interesting, um, how funders will
1: be looking closely at um, the ethos at the heart of some of these organisations. What would you say that sort of embracing sustainability at your core really means? Because I know that a lot of companies do say that they have their like basically put banners up saying they're sustainable. But what does embracing it to their core really mean? For the construction industry,
2: sustainability would be something that must permeate the whole whole organization. So how you conduct yourselves and how you conduct
1: your business. Yeah. So within the construction industry, so what, what do, you, do you see attitudes changing towards sustainability and where do you see it being, having the, having the most impact? Cause obviously you've got the design, build, manage, and then all the way through to sort of the decommissioning side, which is, almost like the whole BIM life cycle. So where do you see it having the most impact? (laughs) Crikey, that's a big question.
2: I saw a fantastic article this morning on LinkedIn. uh, Zaha Hadid's practice had just designed (coughs) uh, a fantastic looking stadium, timber stadium. That's the wooden one, yeah. Yeah, have you seen that? Amazing. Um, So what's interesting about that, and I used to be a little bit sort of, not sniffy, but Frank Geary is a good example of using um, computer-driven sort of um, solutions to create wonderful shapes and forms but they don't really do much more than just create wonderful shapes and forms uh, and i thought the same sometimes as some of these more you know uh, exotic shapes that probably the fosters and the arabs as well have come up with but having seen this timber structure that's definitely you know from the from the family of or studio of hadid transposed into timber. I was really struck and thought this is fantastic. Your bigger question though is around whole life costs, isn't it really? Yeah. Yeah. So when you build something, you might find that over its lifetime it may have two or three different uses. It depends on its longevity. One example might be sort of high-rise office blocks in the same in the city, which are purpose built for that for that very end use. But next day with this new, you know, Paradigm of home working, etc., those offices are no longer required, then those, those buildings will need to be repurposed in some way. Now, if sometimes it is harder and more expensive to repurpose and re light than it is to demolish and start again, and I think that's incredibly wasteful um, in terms of materials, CO2 release the energy that's actually embedded in all those processes not just in the manufacture and assembly but the construction and deconstruction thereof so it might be for me looking at how a building is conceived um with maybe two or three lifetimes in,
1: or purposes in its lifetime do you think the like ac market or construction market is like really ready for fully embracing the like a sustainable development uh, path or do you think it's still sort of too risk averse to change sort of the old ways of thinking and working and, and embracing a new way? I think from a design perspective lots of, lots of us are you know very
2: um, socially aware I think hopefully we are. I think as an industry especially I would say in house building especially it's very slow to change. Um, it's, it's driven by you know probably quite tight profit margins um, but I think a bit like the electric car, it is expensive in its nascent form, but as it's not, it's two parts to it. First of all, you've got to win the public over to say, actually, yes, it's a bit pricey, but it's really the way you should be going. And then once you build the volume, then obviously the prices come down. So there's two things that are kind of linked. And it's a bit of a sort of chicken and egg is, um, you know, how that really works. But I think that as technologies improve, people's awareness uh, increases and opportunities are presented, then I think um, the two things will start working together better. But at the moment, I would think the uh, construction industry is the most sort of slow to pick up on some of the stuff, really, to be honest with you.
1: I mean, it's difficult for like the AEC industry. I think the, the design companies like like yourself are probably, well, obviously at the start of of the life cycle, so it may be easier for them to to embrace some of the sustainable technologies and methodologies. Uh, but but I think if you really, uh, well, particularly a construction company, if they really do take sustainability and, and add it to the core of their business, they may actually lose out on business in the short term mm. if they're really serious about it. Yeah. Uh, for instance, they may like refuse to work on projects which don't have a sustainable outcome. Now they might lose money in the short term, but in the long term, it's probably putting them in a in a better position.
2: I agree. I think it's putting themselves in a better position in terms of how they're perceived in the, wider, in the wider community. I also think actually business as usual is just not sustainable anyway going forward. So we have to change something. Can't keep you know, depleting resources and pumping out more CO2. It's never been more apparent to me recently than photographs of Delhi before and after the COVID shutdown. And uh, they were saying that, you know, that the air quality there is almost alpine now. Really? Yeah, which is interesting So it hasn't taken very long to recover
1: no it's and it from- has been a complete shutdown i think i have been reading though that i think they're only expecting a four percent reduction in greenhouse gases this year even though for a good proportion of the year there's um there's been almost zero zero industrial activity
2: yes yes well in, in industrial activity is one of them agriculture interesting enough i didn't really appreciate so much but plant fertilizers. Um, nitrogen rich fertilizers react with the soil and uh, give off NOx as well which is quite interesting another very you know strong um, greenhouse gas I think there's a lot of it's not just you know bad old construction I think there's lots of contributors here
1: okay cool and so in your own words what is regenerative design and why is it important to us
2: well um That's the thing it relates really to approaches that support a mutually beneficial existence of humans and natural systems. So it's basically partnering with nature rather than working against it. Um, And we've gone through a a process or a a cycle of green, you know, where we were being more aware and organic and all that good stuff into sustainability. Um, But but sustainability really is at, at its best, don't make things worse and just use what you need to use and no more. Whereas a regenerative approach would be where you're a net contributor from. Uh, from so whatever you actually create, you, you should actually in some way or other, as much as possible, be putting something back in. For me, it's a fab example, in upstate New York, a place called the Omega Center. It's a sort of one of these well-being and whole holistic um, life centers, you call it. Um, And there, they've got an eco-machine, that's what they call it. And basically, they have about 190-odd dwellings, I believe, there. And they recycle or they clean all the brown water, grey water, the whole lot, everything that those dwellings and those um, buildings create and produce. They clean that. They use um, microbes, snails, bugs, you name it, as a very elaborate system. But they return clean water back into the aquifer, so they are sort of n- not net users of of, um, of abstraction, if you like. Whatever they take out, they put back, which I think
1: is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it can be probably applied to. Well, it definitely can be applied to multiple different industries. You mentioned the agriculture agriculture industry, which is something I'm personally extremely interested about. Um, they they themselves have to basically create more food from the same or less amount of land uh, for an increasing population so they're they're in a similar sort of space where they've got to make their operations more efficient but then also more sustainable take less out of the ground each year so then they've got uh, more longevity in their in their their production.
0: Um, Adrian I've got um, an interesting interesting question um, regarding uh, sustainability and you've mentioned um, a lot of good use cases but um, i would love to to have a little bit more discussion about how technology can play a big role in that sustainability discussion especially yours well
2: uh, a variety of ways i think really on the sharp end for me when i'm in the office what i like about the tech that we're using first of all i say to people um i find it democratic and what i mean by that is being data driven it's it's largely cleansed of any of any prejudice or preconception that I'm bringing to the picture so it gives me options that I probably wouldn't have thought of uh, it's challenging and, it, and it's, it's in what it throws up so th- there's, a, there's a direct benefit to me as a designer um, using this technology um, in a wider sense I think the tech is phenomenal if you look at what we can do with um, uh, looking at the topography of a particular site to make sure we minimize the amount of cut and fill, which you and I have discussed and Harry, I know that it's something that was mentioned before. Um, uh, Land use, water runoff, uh, modeling, you know, how the water will behave uh, depending on what your design solution is. So I'm looking for me, regenerative design and this is early doors. It's like, re hyphen generative so like using generative design as we all know it at the moment in um in the architecture field of using genetic genetic algorithms and uh computational design and coupling that with really high quality geospatial data and um, you know land use etc bringing these things together and meshing them so that when you're driving the algorithm, you've got these things in tandem working together. I think that would be a, that would be really powerful to drive out <coughs> the, towards an optimal. I'm going to say not optimal because it's only only ever options, but it drives out things that are moving more towards an optimal solution. And I think the other thing too, if I can just finish off, is. What I also like about it is it, it's a fantastic audit trail of the process and the options available. So often when we're designing on the drawing board, if you like, or sketching or whatever it might be, we make subtle changes. We never really record those. We, we always sort of go almost in big leaps and jumps. So you don't really remember how you got to the place you got to, and you don't always remember the when you took that fork in the road what would happen if I went back to that fork and took the other road you know you can't really do that easily and it's also time consuming you see I can do we did it today actually my my, my colleague in the office at home rather he um was running I think he ran 20,000 options on a on a site in one and a half hours and that it wasn't even using the cloud that was just using his laptop. So using this stuff is incredibly powerful for us as designers, but I think incredibly beneficial for the client organization and the end user, because we feel more confident that we have driven out the best solution. We've got an audit trail to demonstrate that. Um, And then we can start looking at how it's procured. So what are the materials that you might want to use? You know, we can minimize the amount of steel by using, you know, computational design. We can minimize the amount of roads by using short path analysis, and so it goes.
1: And how many different sort of factors are you putting into, into these sort of um, designs that you're putting in? How many like things are you putting in Sort of emissions, different types of materials. What are you putting into them?
2: Right at the moment, to be perfectly honest, it's early doors and we are looking at really master planning. So we're, our variables are usually around um planning the site, planning the connectivity, um, balancing the landscape, not defining what the landscape is necessarily, but balancing the green against the black if you like, minimizing the amount of black top you put down. What I want to be able to get to next would be what is it made of. Uh, we can Minimize the quantum of framing structure, we can minimize, we can modularize so we can have a lot more DFMA off site construction and manufacture so things can be delivered uh, on one truck rather than many trucks. Uh, and you know, so those are factors that are they're sort of in there, if you like, um, and uh, that's like, that's that's a sort of quantum of variables and um, things, that were, parameters we're looking at at the moment. But as I say, it's only going to grow. It's only
1: going to grow. Cleve, okay, may I bring you in here? How do you see like, the technology uh, sitting behind this developing over the next few years?
0: I think the, the algorithms at the moment are very good. Um, but they're, they're a bit immature. A bit like um, how an expert human is very good at doing one thing but it can't see a holistic view of the environment and the complexity of it. So uh, at the moment, um, as, as Adrian suggested, there are quite a few variables and factors that you can take into consideration. These genetic algorithms can evolve and go through a lot of generations and evolutions to give you the most optimal result. but there's still a lot of human involvement in, in sort of optimizing these algorithms. I think uh, going forward, Algorithms must be able to perform better than humans can, not just in one specific domain, but be able to see a holistic view of of the physical environment that they're actually trying to optimize. It's quite essential that we allow and trust algorithms to evolve in a way that they can and have the ability to understand the physical world that we live in and its complexities.
1: And how do we get to that space, Gadeez?
0: Slowly, (laughs) iteratively. (laughs) um, Slow. I don't think slowly is the right term. Iteratively, definitely. So the less human involvement there is in understanding or extracting understanding of the data or the information or the knowledge from that data, the quicker we will get to the the real sort of algorithmic of intelligence that we really want to get into at the moment in the AI world, intelligence is not really there. It's it's a lot of automation and there's a lot of value in automation currently. But we really need to start thinking about where that intelligence in algorithm comes from, and how we get to it is to to start to create um, sort of infrastructure, technology infrastructure, and sort of more sort of embedded. Um, technologies that could under, help us understand what the complexity of this information embedded in our data sets really is, uh, rather than in putting or associating human bias into it. And
1: I guess this is a question for, for you, Adrian. How do, what do you think is driving uh, a move towards sustainability? Is it the innovation and the technology that's becoming available, or is it the legislation and the government's desire to? Uh, build things more sustainably. And I think obviously there's one recent example in Heathrow, which has been blocked, legally blocked, uh, because it isn't um, in accordance with the uh, Paris Climate um, Accord. So what do you think is driving this? Is it the innovation or the legislation?
2: I think, um, oddly enough, I think maybe legislation from governments will only really come with some pressures, if you like the up pressures from, say, um, you know, things like Extinction Rebellion, bringing this, you know, to the to this issue of climate change and, you know, what we're doing to our climate and our planet to the fore. It, I think it was Juncker who said, every politician knows what needs to be done, but don't know how to get reelected after doing it. And, and, that, and that's the big problem for them, you know. So politicians, they've got a, they've got a pretty short tenure. And um, you know, if you want to increase that tenure, they've got to be sort of basically balancing that that need and Heathrow is possibly a good one. You've got a commercial balance against this this sort of climate thing. Um and uh yeah, I mean it's a really interesting example. Um
1: I, I don't know whether we're looking at it incorrectly with Heathrow though, because I mean maybe this is a sort of Opposite opinion to this, but the actual asset itself, apart from the building and the management of that asset doesn't have a massive carbon footprint. It's obviously the aircraft which are landing on it, which have the biggest carbon footprint out of the the two. So would would there be an argument for saying, okay, if we're going to look at this holistically, we actually need to have the aircraft landing on this be more sustainable, less um, environmentally damaging. And maybe one way to look at it would be, okay, well, we're only going to allow a certain type of aircraft to allow uh, to use this new asset, or we're going to put a load of money into creating new sustainable aircraft. I think that's a
2: good point. I mean, that might be it. I mean, I think, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Um, what is the problem here? You know, is it, is it, you know, half a mile of tarmac, or as you say, you know, Loads and loads of planes taking off and landing without the scant regard for any improvements in their performance and the way that and their emissions. If I could
0: jump in, this is exactly what I was speaking about. That suddenly, even talking about this becomes a very complex subject, and there's a lot of factors that are um, involved in optimizing that solution. And so sometimes, no matter how many expert humans you put in a room, they will not be able to come up with the most optimal. Um, sort of a solution because uh, our brain does work at a certain pace, and and then sharing of knowledge across brains is, is quite a slow process. But algorithms don't have that. Algorithms don't. Algorithms can evolve into sort of trying to understand exactly what the optimal solution might be. Currently, as um, Adrian's algorithms are doing, that there's a lot of human involvement in this. That they can sort of go through these generations and generations of solutions very, very quickly. And then eventually a human makes a decision. Um, but this is the complexity I was talking about, that uh, it is quite difficult to understand for us. Also,
2: when you phrased the question, you asked about what, what was driving what. And I think you know, the, te- the technology is a response um, to an opportunity.
1: No, I mean I I agree. So similar to what we do at Sensat, we we responded to an opportunity. It wasn't that someone was legislating to make make three D and two D data more accessible to users and and for computers to understand our physical world. It was an idea and a commercial opportunity. Um, I think I think as we as we mentioned in the first point, we had about how sustainability sets businesses up for the future. The sooner companies realise that. Being sustainable and being sustainable to your core is actually going to set you up to be a better, more um, profitable business in the future. The faster you'll probably see these new technologies being adopted.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think there will be a, a, a you know, there will be a sort of a advice-like sort of movement of of public opinion and, and government legislation that will force them into a space where they have to embrace this. The irony is. Bit like the farming example of Africa that I saw in Africa, is that when it is embraced and deployed properly, actually, it's it's it works better than anything else.
0: Yeah,
1: and do you think the times like now, the crisis we're going through, could be a forcing factor for for adopting this new technology? Because I know that we're we're obviously adopting new technology with this podcast. Usually, we'd meet up. So, do you think that this current crisis we're going through is going to open people's eyes and actually? break down those barriers
2: yeah i think what it will do and i saw an article in the press today i think it will make people question travel and how necessary it is in all its forms Uh, i think business travel for for, for airlines will drop off a cliff i think people will commercially or sorry financially they will struggle but i think they'll kind of question the validity and necessity of it i think as these technologies improve i.e., the bandwidth i've just had some uh, chat with a open reach guys in the village earlier where I live here in Sussex and they put fiber throughout the whole village now. So, um, you know, once those, once that bandwidth is right up there and at the minute if you log on at a certain time, it's a bit like when America wakes up, everything goes really slow. Um, but uh, once we get those, those sort of uh, infrastructure elements in place, it won't be quite so tricky. There'll be, people will be more used to adapting their working practices and the way that they set themselves up. Um, I think the problem we have at the moment, because we're thrown into this rather, rather brutally, is that we're still trying to operate as a normal office, but we're atomized. And I think that's really difficult. But I think it will be a learned behavior that in the future, if you do want to work in this way, you have to set yourself and your projects up slightly differently, which makes things like Sensat and new map product really exciting. because. The reality of being able to work effectively remotely is is what it's all about.
1: And do you think it will bring new ways of development as well? I guess more, more as we said, regenerative design. So I think we're probably going to have to repurpose a certain number of, uh, of our assets already. I think people are looking at offices and going, actually, we can work more efficiently at home, particularly some industries. Um, but also construction Uh, we may be in a situation where we have a year or more of what we what we would term social distancing that will inevitably have an effect on on the industry maybe more uh, prefabricated design um, and stuff like that and then I guess looking finally at the or the impact of what we've what um, having very little activity has had say in Delhi where you can actually see Uh, see now, and in parts of India where you can see the uh, Himalayas again. Um, I think those pictures may resonate in people's minds and say, actually, when we do live sustainably, this this can be the outcome fairly quickly.
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm very keen on trying to get some enlightened individuals to help create some exemplar sort of projects where we have we literally live in laboratories where we can create maybe a small sustainable development or a regenerative development as a sort of a template that can be, uh, can be, can be rolled
1: out. Yeah. I guess moving on to a slightly different tact here. Um, how, I guess I'll ask both of you, both of you this, how can we demonstrate the value of tech solutions? I know that we as that are often having to, so sort of not bang down doors, but be, like inform people and educate people on this. but how do you deve- uh, demonstrate the value of tech solutions to to your clients?
0: Uh, that's a That's a difficult one to to answer. I think we uh, showing them value depends on um, what clients really see as value. I mean, is it cost? Is it time saving? Is it sort of a longer term vision of sustainability? Um, All of this needs to be taken into consideration. And the technology is just just a bunch of algorithms that could actually speed up that process of showing value. Um, But but I think it's for for companies like us, uh, it's very important that we get very close to these clients and find out exactly what values these are. Sometimes, um, you know, when you look at the technical challenge uh, and the solution behind it, it, it gets sort of revolved around file formats or we, we can't do this or we can't write this algorithm. But eventually, if you dig deeper in there, there is a value to be extracted. Um, there is a an end game that everybody is after. Um, and it can only be for us as a, as a startup, uh, get close to these clients and find out. You have to sort of dig a bit deeper. You have to find out exactly what that value is. And then start bringing in the technology to assist that end game, rather than what, what's right now in in front of you.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think the value of tech is in the solution, not 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 the uh, tech itself necessarily. You know, um, we use it so as yeah. a tool, means to an end. But as I said, you know, before that, the guy in the street really doesn't really care what's under the hood. He's just really interested in you know where it gets him. I think as we get better at this and we get more experienced and knowledgeable and etc cetera, et cetera, And machine learning comes in then we know we are going to be able to get those quicker and better
0: outcomes quicker and better would you not agree khalid um uh, yes i mean i, I think uh, you're right but uh, i think it's, it's a little bit more than that for for me uh, machine learning um algorithms identifying that question obviously is, is very tricky it's very and we can get it wrong all the time imagine a city Um, And we're trying to optimise how our cities are. Um, We're trying to sort of think about sustainability, but sustainability only flattens the curve. I mean, it's quite a topical thing, but it keeps the the flow going. We need something. We need the technology to be able to uh, heal rather than just sustain. Um, So what I'm talking about is that, imagine a city that um, has knows exactly it's working is, it's traffic, it's weather, it's pollution, social, it's demographics, it's people movement, it's public transport, everything. A a system, a, 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 a replica of that city that knows exactly how it's working. Then we don't have to ask that question that what algorithm am I going to build? The algorithm will tell you or ask you that what do you want to optimize over? Do you want the traffic to be better? At the same time, do you want flood management to, to work and pollution to be less? Then it would give you the solutions. So, so we need to get to a stage where we're not there yet. This is, this is quite speculative and this is quite an algorithm utopia in a way. But, um, but it, it, we need to be able to, to trust these algorithms to give us the solution because they can. And Khalid, what, what,
1: what are we working on at Sensat that is helping towards sort of the future of, of this of this topic?
0: See, for, for us, for, for me, um, I am very uh, passionate about the, the vision. It's not just as part of the Sensat, but coming from the spatial um, data domain. Um, so, you know, the spatial environment, I'm just trying to understand. And cities have always been very close to my heart. I think that what we're trying to do here is eventually trying to build um, that intelligent solution that provides us a sustainable world, that provides us the world that actually heals itself, the physical environment. Uh, Algorithms that optimize the physical world by understanding them, um, by understanding them in a way that the humans never managed to do it. Um, Humans always manage to solve. look at a physical environment in their own expert silos. Currently, algorithms are doing that as well. We want to be in an, in an environment that, where technology, be it algorithm or a suite of algorithms or an ecosystem of algorithms, that eventually evolve on their own to be able to understand their physical counterpart that they're trying to optimize.
1: Cool. Well- Thank you very much for, for joining us, Adrian, and it's been great speaking with you. Um, is, there anywhere, is there anywhere people can get in contact with you and uh, look at your website?
2: Yes, yeah, we're, we're, we're out there. www.gevletooth.co.uk, I think it is for us. Um, so yeah, we're on LinkedIn and a few other channels, yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please remember to give it a like or share, and we'll see you again soon. For more information on how we can help your project, please visit sensat.co.uk